Today, all over the world, there are thousands of Sino-Soviet intelligence agents with money to burn, looking for unsuspecting targets for exploitation among members of our forces. Um, do you smoke or you just smoke cigars, right? Yeah, I've never smoked a cigarette. Um, occasionally I'll smoke cigar. I, I switch from cigars to just like black and milds and cigarettes because cigars, a quality cigar is going to be anything from like six to $10 on the low end. Mm -hmm. And that gets pretty expensive. Granted, it tastes great. Yeah. But, um, when you can buy... Six cigarillos for like a dollar ninety nine. It becomes a clear and obvious choice uh, if you don't care about flavor. I don't even smoke that. I don't even smoke that often. Um, I used to more frequently, but it kind of comes and goes. It's more of like a oh, that's a fun thing to do. Um, as far as inhaling, uh, usually that's just weed. But I don't even own weed. I just borrow it from my friends i just mooch off of them whenever it's like i'm at their house which is very like few and far between how often do you smoke uh cigarillos oh dude i couldn't tell you the last time i smoked one it's been like every couple months i'll smoke one yeah that's fair yeah i I do that i do the same thing I, i just started um i just started smoking like cigars um last year so like usually when I'm, it's funny because like usually when I'm drunk, which is rarely ever, I'll like smoke. Like if, if I'm like super fucked up, I'll smoke a cigar. But like I never have a craving to just go, hey, I'm going to smoke a cigar like randomly. Well, I don't I'm know always- if you, I don't know if you remember this, but last time you were drunk with me and Cole, you were begging us to go pick up like cigarettes. You were like, yeah. dude, come on. We need to go to Dollar General. Can someone buy me some some Newports? Can someone get me some candles? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I was, That's just I, so I was, funny. The only time was, you want to smoke is when you're drunk. I was joking, yeah. I was actually joking about I will never smoke a cigarette, honestly. Oh, yeah. No, they're, they're but like, nasty. Yeah, I'll smoke a cigar, though. I will, I will fuck with a cigar. But, yeah, um... I, I mean, like everyone at work currently like smokes fucking jewels and vapes and shit. So, I mean, they're hitting that like constantly. So I'm like, should I get into smoking? Like, should I vape? <laughs> well, you like you watch any movie and as soon as someone starts smoking, it's just the coolest thing ever. Yeah, exactly. Like I was saying just a second ago, I was like, you know, uh, on The Shining, you know, my Kubrick rewatch. I was uh, I was sitting there watching Shelley Duvall just like rip dart after dart like in the hotel and like in their house and shit like watching her kid like making her kid like frosted flakes and watching tv while like smoking i was like this is so cool <laughs> well it's really all pe- all like especially women all women could do in like the 70s and 80s was smoke because you couldn't yeah. get out of the house like they didn't men wouldn't let them have jobs and right. so like what are they gonna do besides raise their kids and then in the afternoons just like get wine drunk and smoke a shit ton of cigarettes. I want to go back to a time back when doctors were fucking smoking in the living room. So cool. Start them them while you're young. Like as soon as you, your doctor should be smoking. The woman while giving birth should be smoking. Everyone in the room, there needs to be like a plume of just secondhand smoke for that baby to inhale. The second it comes out, you know, it's crazy though. Like growing up around like a smoker, 
I hate the smell of like cigarette smoke, but uh, I, I think like smoking indoors and shit was like actually cool. Like I, <laughs> I think that that was a cool thing that happened. <laughs> the, like the permanent funny, lung damage I got as a child was dope. <laughs> yeah. What's funny though is like, um, everyone was afraid of the, you know, afraid of secondhand smoke mm-hmm. and afraid of smoking now, but. The thing about it is, like, if you grew up in the 60s or 70s or even the 80s, you know, it was like a, just a thing that everyone did. And a lot of people, you know, even later on in life who smoked were just kind of like, yeah, it's fine that I have lung damage. (laughs) Like, I'm still going to rip a couple of darts. Like, yeah, well, at that point, you know, you usually can't quit. Like, that's the problem. It starts off. It's see, this, this is where you start, Matt. You see it on TV. And you say, oh, that's cool. And then you actually get addicted and it stops being cool. As soon as as soon as you get addicted to something, whatever it was, it just stops being cool and becomes a burden. Yeah, I'm pretty glad that I'm not nicotine cut. Like that's 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 one of my oh, uh, Is that the term the kids are using these days? That's the term I'm using. Yeah, <laughs> I saw I saw I think it was like pig on Twitter. She used it. She said, thank God I'm not nicotine cut. And I 100 percent agree because I can smoke a cigar once fucking every i don't know six months or something and be fine like if i never smoked another cigar again but like i said like i was saying like it's just a a thing that i do when um when i drink you know when i drink excessively i just go you know what i'm gonna smoke a cigar as well (laughs) like do you do you have an addiction it doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol but like is there something you're you would say you're addicted to Caffeine, definitely. Yeah, because I remember you—you you were saying you haven't—you don't drink uh, soda anymore, right? But do you think that's where it comes from? Like that need for caffeine comes from soda? No, it, it comes from. Um, see, see, my mother was a big coffee drinker. She was a big coffee drinker and a big smoker, right? So my mom was definitely like eating one meal a day, caffeine, drinking a whole co- a pot of coffee, just and constantly then... skinny as fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. No, no, she really was. She yeah, was really skinny. Yeah, and uh she she smoked, you know, like half a pack of cigarettes a day. Right. So that was the biggest thing about my mom was she was like she had two addictions, right? And it was coffee and cigarettes, and mm-hmm. my dad was addicted to like alcohol. But uh for me, the biggest addiction that I can say is that I, I inherited like caffeine addiction from my mom yeah. because when I was young I would drink coffee like i drank coffee what when i was fuck? young <laughs> yeah i mean i drank coffee before i was 10 probably that's wild dude i wouldn't touch the stuff before i was 10 which is like you know a crazy thing to say but yeah i have to have like two three cups of coffee a day at the very least you know i i'm a t- i'm definitely a two cup of coffee a day fanatic like i have to mm. have it if i don't have a cup of coffee like i'm fucking i have withdrawal symptoms it's bad Coffee is weird because it, it's, you know, caffeine in general, but specifically the way coffee affects you, like it affects everyone a little differently. So for me, if I drink it anytime past noon, like mm-hmm. I'm fucked. Are but, you can't have a little afcaf? No, I well, I don't I don't have decaf coffee to like make half calf and I'm not going to go. No, no, no. Afcaf. Oh, afcaf. Sorry. I, saw, I thought you said half calf. No, afcaf. No, um, which it's like. I think it's also like a cultural thing, too, that some cultures drink coffee later in the afternoon, like with dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, I've, I've been at households of like, uh, I don't know, this one Cuban family, but like they'll ask me, oh, hey, you want a pot of you want like some coffee? And it's like it's fucking 8 p.m., bro. But 
I don't know. It's something nice about it. So do you drink coffee in the afternoons? Oh, 100%. I can drink coffee all the way up until like 10 o'clock at night. So what I learned through some research is that the way caffeine affects your body, it stays in your body for a long fucking time. Like Mm -hmm. even if you're not feeling jittery or feeling the effects of caffeine, it's still in your body for like eight to 10 hours. Mm -hmm. And so obviously this depends on the amount you drink, but it can affect your sleep. And yeah. so it and not in the sense that you can't fall asleep, you can still fall asleep. Like obviously you do, but it fucks with your REM cycle, like your yeah. sleep cycle. And so while you might not be feeling the effects, it's still like ruining your next day. Yeah. So that's what's something I've tried to stop doing is like, okay, if it's past 1 PM, I just have to tell myself no. Cause I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm addicted. I do drink it very often. But I'll go Mm -hmm. one or two days without drinking it. It's for me, it's an addiction in the sense that like it's a reward for crawling out of bed in the morning. Like I've got I've gotten out of bed just at the thought of drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. And it's like a natural antidepressant. It's a natural antidepressant. Like it just boosts your mood. Yeah, I, I always tell people that I could never stop drinking coffee because like it's my one addiction. But also, um. I feel like I'm normal when I drink coffee. Like I can't like I've I actually quit cold turkey on on caffeine for six months before. And like I just like one day said, fuck it. I'm not drinking any more caffeine and then didn't for six months and uh, like not a drop. And uh, I just felt like garbage. I felt completely 100 percent like garbage. And I didn't like myself when uh, I didn't drink caffeine. So I just started drinking coffee again and I haven't stopped because when I drink caffeine, I'm just kind of normal. You know, even if I drink like one cup a day, I'm at like my base level of uh, functioning. But if I don't drink any caffeine at all, I'm like not functioning. Even if it's like like months later, like that, even that six month mark when I stopped drinking caffeine, I was non. I wasn't re- functioning very well. I wonder, and I'm not a scientist, but my hypothesis is you probably drank caffeine for so long that it mm-hmm. like changed your brain, and so yeah. in order, like normal for you is caffeine because you've mm-hmm. been doing it your whole life. Yeah. So that that kind of makes sense. Yeah, and um, but I guess like you know. Talking about addiction and stuff, we can talk. We can kind of transition into uh, like our our actual topic for the pod today, which is talking about. uh, uh, All right, so let's talk about uh, addiction to money, right? The coolest addiction, also not just money, but gambling. Gambling addiction. So uh, the whole thing recently, the biggest news recently, is that Reddit. R slash Wall Street bets WSB Wall Street betting decided to fuck over a hedge fund, which I have to say right out the gate is awesome. Um, And they decided to take this hedge, this particular hedge fund, and whatever this hedge fund was shorting, they decided to um, invest in to uh, inflate the price on the stock market. So. What happened was GameStop was uh, being shorted by this hedge fund. And by people who don't know stocks, um, shorting is essentially betting that the stock will lose value 
right? It's essentially betting for a company to fail. And so this one particular hedge fund, all they did was short. Like that was their whole like, you know, um, point of being. And um, so they decided to short GameStop and this this Reddit was like, fuck them. Let's go ahead and, and fuck them over. So everyone started betting on GameStop and GameStop's stock prices started shooting through the roof, right? So it went from like $30 or something like that to like over $500 today. And um, then people obviously got wind of this and they said, well, fuck, fuck these hedge fund people. Let's keep putting in stocks that they short. So they start putting in money to AMC, to BlackBerry, to Nokia, all these stocks that like were doing very poorly. And it started raising the price of these stocks. So people, so these hedge funds were losing, you know, billions of dollars on these shorts that they were trying to do. And then these hedge funds were talking about hopefully being bailed out. And then I think uh, an investing company actually bailed them out. They were like, here's $2, million, $2 billion oh, or whatever it was. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. And so they were talking about like getting a government bailout because their, 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 uh, their uh, hedge fund was failing. And what happened was today, actually, um, f- uh, popular free trading app slash website, Robinhood, stopped won't allow you to trade GameStop, AMC, BlackBerry, or Nokia stock anymore, because and among others, because uh, Reddit was quote unquote like fucking with the market. So like, which is crazy because insider trading happens literally all the time. Like at the I mean, highest levels of government. Yeah, I mean, like Nancy Pelosi bought a bunch of like Tesla stock, I remember. And then also like Kelly Loeffler dumped a bunch of stock when she was, you know, in the uh, in the covid task force. She had a bunch of like uh, a stock in in in, you know, like restaurants and stuff that yeah, would, she didn't uh, she didn't just dump stock. She acquired stock that she thought was going to go up as well. Yeah, yeah. So she she dumped all the, she dumped all the stock that was gonna like be terrible during COVID, and then she acquired some more. Right, that would be that would bump up during COVID. So she, you know, she insider traded because she had insider information. But the biggest thing is now, um, because these platforms are not allowing you to trade GameStop stock, you can't buy GameStop stock anymore. And uh, it's it's driving the prices down. So they're cooking the market by not allowing people to buy and, you know, buy these uh, these stocks. Right. And actual market manipulation happening before our very eyes. But because it's happening to uh, people who are maybe not as wealthy or aren't hedge fund managers, uh, it's OK, you know, for them to do that. Yeah, exactly. And the thing about it is like the, the biggest problem with that is that like a bunch of like autists on reddit got together and decided to do something and uh like have this stock buy this stock and like what's crazy is the biggest like the biggest contradiction of our time the biggest like hypocrisy of our time is that 
all these hedge fund managers are like, well, the free market, like people fail, people succeed, whatever, by the, like their bootstraps, which is like these hedge funds who bet against stocks, like who short stocks, who literally bet that companies will fail, have failed. It's making a bad gamble. You made a bad gamble. And what happens is like you're upset at the gamble. So you have to cook the market. You have to have the market like cook the books, you know, essentially just to shut down. And one of the things that uh, came out recently about this is that uh, Robinhood, right, the app that most people use for for trading because it doesn't, you know, have any fees like attached to it. Um, there was a person who worked at Robinhood and he said that he was a whistleblower and he said that um, they got a call from the White House it's themselves. It, all of this is, I, I want to like, content warning or whatever this is all like hearsay from uh, a alleged whistleblower at uh robin hood but this alleged whistleblower uh said that they got a call from the white house telling them that they need to stop um trading gamestop and amc stocks right where did so, you uh where do you see that source posted this was on uh, Reddit. Okay. It was on, so this guy comes out on Reddit and he's he's anonymous. He he came out and he said, gotcha. "Hey, listen, like I'm I'm a you know obviously you can yeah you can that's lie. that's a tough that's a tough one because it could and probably is someone attention seeking karma whoring uh, yeah saying shit uh it but the thing is there's like a kernel of truth to it and it doesn't have it doesn't matter if the White House called or not because there is a kernel of truth in that the powers that be will not let institutions fail. There's companies out there, there's hedge funds, Wall Street, that are too big to fail. And so you have these rules that are set up uh, for the economy and for those large companies. But for everyone else, it's just, like we said before multiple times, it's just a brutal, it's free market for the little guy. Um and it's just interesting because, you know, one of the problems in America is that there's a huge wealth disparity and that, you know, it's funny. You ask people, OK, how do I succeed? And the number one thing is like, oh, play the stock market. Like that's mm -hmm. how you make money in America is you play the stock market. But almost half the country, more than half the country doesn't own any stock, not because they don't want to, because mm -hmm. they, you know, if like they need money to feed their families, they're they're at a point, you know, and this this study has been talked about for a while now that, you know, most families can't afford like an unexpected 200 or I forget if it was 200 or 600 dollar bill. Like mm -hmm. they're so squeezed as it is. You think you think they have time to like let stock vest and let it sit there for a couple years and actually make a profit over time? Hell well, no. Stock Stock markets typically are like gambles anyway. Like I remember a person who was like a millionaire, right? And he he always traded stocks and and bet stocks and bought gold and bought silver and you know he became a millionaire doing that. And he said that uh he told me that um stock markets a gamble. He said you have to put in as much money as you're willing to lose. Yeah. Um. Another when I was in college, a financial advisor for um. He, I don't know what firm he worked for, but he kind of worked with people who like were in the million dollar range. He wasn't dealing with billionaires, but um, he was dealing with millionaires. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that in their line of investing, that um, when you're dealing with that level of money, 
you, whenever you invest in the stock market, you have to tell yourself, I'm not going to see this money for 10 years. Like you mm-hmm. have to be okay not seeing a return or not seeing any of that money pulled out for 10 years or else it's just a waste. Like you're en- going to end up losing money. And mm-hmm. to tell that to say just average Joe making 50,000 a household or less or something, or even in that range, it's, you can't tell them like, this is how you do it. But some people on Reddit get together some some internet weirdos who are nerds get together and they decide this to to work together like there's no rules written about that that's not breaking the rules that's not insider trading it's literally the definition of outsider trading yeah well because like the thing is that they didn't adhere to their uh their arbit their arbitrary rules their right? gentleman's like- agreement like why the, the biggest thing is like why are people who hold public office allowed to hold stocks? Like that's ridiculous. Like that's a ridiculous thing that can happen, which is like because they obviously have like insider knowledge about laws and stuff and they have like vested in certain laws. Like so why you know what I'm saying? Like why would they Absolutely. Al- so when they have yeah. direct influence on how these stocks will perform, why are they allowed? Like sure, they can invest, but it's got to be set up like it needs to be set up by a mutual fund or like some sort of conglomerate of stocks and they shouldn't be the ones able to manage it. You know, yeah. like they can talk to their financial advisor, but their financial advisor, like they need one set up for them and that well, it, it needs the, to be stricter. The biggest problem is that like these people all have these like shadowy financial advisors or whatever, like not, they're not like, like normal people, financial advisors who you never talk to, but they have like, they're like friends with these people. Like that's the biggest thing is like, I mean, I think like, like I said, Kelly Loeffler's, uh, fucking husband is the commissioner of the New York stock exchange. Yeah. Like he's her, uh, you know, uh, he's her financial advisor. So it's like, Oh, like that, like while you guys were having like disgusting old person sex, like he wasn't going to talk to you about like stocks. Come on. You will. I think you will see, a lot of action happening across the board. Um, we're already seeing the government react to this. And it makes you wonder, um, you couldn't react this fast when it was us getting the $2,000 or us getting stimulus payments. But the second your precious economy gets touched, like, oh, we got to fix that, fix that now. We can't let the people have money. We have to fix it. So... I don't know how the government is going to react as far as legislation goes. That remains to be seen. I, you know, I'm hoping for the best, but I doubt it. You know, I, it's usually favors the companies. So what did we see in 2008? You know, Obama bailed out all the companies. Yeah. And so uh, there's a precedent that's been set that you're too big, too big to fail. Can't, can't, you can't lose. Yeah. Um, and what the sad thing is, like, even if those people lost all that money, <laughs> they're mm-hmm. still fine. Like they're yeah. still better off than most people in America, which they'll is just, the truth. They'll just like ride off on their taxes. I mean, like there's a difference between, you know, rich people and poor people. And the like if a poor person invests and they lose money, it's like their fault. But like if a rich person invests and they lose money, like it's just the the whims of the market and, and like the government will take care of them, you know, so. I can't remember the exact quote, but like I always bring up on the pod, Martin Luther King's quote where it's like capitalism for the poor Mm -hmm. and socialism for the rich, which is what we're seeing, you know? Um, 
I do enjoy I do enjoy these events where, you know, they very rarely happen where the entire Internet seems to unite um, in one like everyone just agreeing that this is a good thing that happened. Like this is a good thing. And and Robin Hood taking it off is a bad thing. Like everyone's like, fuck the hedge fund managers. I'm seeing it all over TikTok. It's just so great. Most sane people are saying that there are like these weird like uh, I, I saw Samantha Pritchard or whatever on Twitter who like, you know, people like the biggest thing is that um, to, to, to classify all Redditors as Nazis is to try and discredit them. And a lot of people are trying to say that these people who are on r slash Wall Street betting are Nazis and it's good that they got banned, which is ridiculous. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that's a take that I'm I am seeing, which is is a, is the wrong take and is a bad take. But, you in know, the most is, in the, like the wrong in the most way you could be wrong. Correct. Yeah. Like anyone um, who t- who's taking the side of the hedge fund managers has a serious issue on the way they view the world. Yeah, it's also I think it's going to. um you know, I don't want to preempt it or whatever, but like me and a buddy at work were talking about it and I th- and he was talking about how he thinks it's going to lead to something big. And they're already trying to do a class action lawsuit against Robin Hood because it, it is like uh, like it's got to be breaking some type of laws that you can't that you could take off a stock. You know what I'm saying? Like you can trade like you are manipulating the market at that point. Yeah, you would hope that some action does get taken now. Um, it's OK if you don't know, but. Do you know if you can still invest on other platforms like uh, do you, uh, the other ones? They started America taking it down. They started taking it down on every platform. Fuck. Like so, you just can't yeah. do it on any public trading platform. Yeah, you know, I tried. Um, I tried. Hello, investing. stock market. Hello, stock market. I'd like to buy. Like, just call in your shares yeah. now. Like, it's the fucking nineteen seventies. Yeah, like Wolf of Wall Street style. You know, like like getting Jordan Belfort to invest. Fucking for me. Jordan Belfort on the phone. Getting that's what the, penny stocks. That's the best thing is like the the memes of Wolf of Wall Street coming out. You know, like all the like me investing in GameStop is that ooh, 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 the the Matthew McConaughey, Jordan, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio chest beating thing. I've seen uh, Wolf of Wall Street has been a really popular one. Obviously, Wall Street, the actual Wall Street movie, yeah. is another one. And then uh, out of left field, but I agree with it. American Psycho. I've seen a couple couple Christian Bale uh, photos. That's good. Yeah, I enjoy those. Because that that not to get off topic, but American Psycho is like the perfect movie about yuppie and about Wall Street in the fact that. There's nothing going on in their brains. Like that in movie, the, in the that entire movie has aged incredibly well too. Yeah, uh, my girlfriend and I watched it like recently, and it's just so it's good. good every time because you realize like, and granted, it's fictional. It's a, it's a character, but mm-hmm. these these people who are on Wall Street, they don't do anything. Like they don't do anything, and yeah. you know Christian Bale's character, you never see him work a second yeah. in that movie, it's and great. now. When I say they don't do anything, like obviously they show up to the office, they take phone calls, send emails and like move money around. But like I guarantee they wouldn't be able to last as like a Starbucks barista, like a a, a Starbucks barista or like a Pizza Hut driver is working harder than those hedge fund managers making 200, 300 more thousand dollars a year. 
Oh yeah, one hundred percent, dude. Like, that's and that's what thing. that's what I mean by they're not doing anything. Is that comparatively to someone who makes a lot less, they don't do that much. And that goes for a lot of these office jobs. Like, oh, I typed on the computer today. Give me a hundred thousand dollars a year. Guilty. Yeah, I, I don't make a hundred thousand dollars a year, but most people don't. The average family in America, like household, makes like around 60,000, 55,000, yeah. I think is the average, which is insane to think that like that's not an individual. Like for yeah. me personally, that's like my expectation, my compensation expectation as like an individual is around 55,000. And yeah. so to see that that's the average for a household, that means usually like one or two parents working, maybe the mom's working part time and the dad's working full time. Mm-hmm. It's bullshit. It's yeah, in a fucking America. With Jeff Dude. Bezos, it's bullshit. We could go on for hours on that. But um, you wanted to talk a little bit about Kubrick. And now, what was your... I know you're watching the movies, but was there anything uh, going on that made you want to watch Kubrick and all his films? Um, so I, I'm i part of this group chat, just like on Twitter. And it's just like a... It's a Lobies group chat, right? So if you have low followers... Um, you know, you're, you're part of the group chat. If you're, I think it's like if you're under a thousand or something, you can be considered a lobby, but, but yeah, I got added to this group chat and like I was talking and these people were talking about these old movies. And I, um, as like a, as a cinephile who hasn't seen like really that many esoteric movies started listening to, um, started listening to these, these, these people talking about all these weird movies they had seen and I was like, you know, I'm a cinephile, but I've never like sat down and watched like a lot of Kubrick, right? Like the the Kubrick that I've seen, which is like weird that it isn't even the stereotypical Kubrick, but I've seen like I saw 2001: A Space Odyssey and The Shining, right? Which are the two like cinephile movies that every cinephile has to watch, essentially, right? And then people people kind of loop in sometimes a Clockwork Orange there. But uh, most of the time, if you're like a movie fan, you've seen 2001 and The Shining. Mm-hmm. And what I've said before was like, I'm not a fan of Kubrick. Like, I've never really liked I didn't really like 2001. I didn't like The Shining, you know. Um, so recently I was watching this documentary because Red Scare was talking about it. And it was about this film critic called Pauline Kale, Right. She's a very prolific um, film critic. In fact, like you remember that movie, um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things? Yes, I love that movie. So one of the things that like they actually bring up. Yeah, it's a good movie. But one of the things that they bring up is that uh, like in in the girl does an impression of Pauline Kale when she starts smoking a cigarette in the car and talking about this movie that he likes um, where he's like, what do you think of this movie? She's like, yeah, I've seen it. And he's like, what do you think? And then she, she says verbatim this Pauline Kale review. And she actually like, she starts smoking and she starts what? affecting. Yeah. She starts affecting her. And the reason why is because Pauline Kale writes a bunch of books that like, she wrote a bunch of books. I think she wrote like six books. And a lot of them are just collections of her reviews. And in the guy's, uh, apartment or whatever, or in his bedroom, you see, uh, a book of essays by Pauline Kale. So like he's, you know, obviously, uh, Spoilers. And <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking of bending things like it's, she's all a figment of his imagination. So like he remembers all this pop culture stuff. Like he quotes like a, she quotes like a David Foster Wallace essay that I've actually read, which is kind of funny. And then he like talks about this movie that he really liked, but Pauline Kale didn't. And, uh, 
So anyway, I'm watching this documentary about this. That's just kind of like a, a connecting tissue or whatever. But I'm watching this documentary about Pauline Kale, and Pauline Kale essentially, uh, she's like this very famous critic, and she is famous, like or I guess infamous, for not liking 2001: A Space Odyssey when everyone else liked it. So while I'm watching it, I'm like, you know, I really need to watch 2001: A Space Odyssey again because I haven't seen it since like 10th grade or something. Like, I think that was when I watched it, probably 10th or 11th grade. And so I decided that I said, well, you know, I haven't seen a lot of Kubrick films. I've only seen the two. So I'm just going to go through his filmography. And so I started watching his filmography. And I have to say that, like, a lot of his (laughs) what I, I think how I phrased it in my group chat is his films that are under two hours long. And his films that are over three hours long are his best films. <laughs> well, that's so, great. so like um, I'm up to and I just started watching. I actually paused it for the podcast, but I started watching Full Metal Jacket. Just um, watched that for the first time recently. Yeah. And uh, I'm still like, I haven't finished it yet. Okay. But uh, yeah, I so I, I just finished The Shining yesterday and The Shining was actually a lot better than I remembered it. Um, and 2001 space Odyssey was better than I remembered it. They weren't like great. Like I still wasn't like blown away by the shining or 2001, but they were better than I remembered it. And then clockwork orange. I wasn't like too impressed with, I was like, okay, this is fine. It kind of bored me to be honest. Yeah. That that's, that's, uh, that's something that I found too. I wasn't in a great mood when I saw it either. So like, that's another thing that could also affect it. But I will tell you Kubrick's films. So Spartacus, Barry Lyndon, The Paths of Glory, right, are incredible films. Really? And yeah, Doctor Strangelove is one of the best movies that I've seen recently. So I, I've seen Doctor Strangelove, but it was a couple mm-hmm. years ago, so I don't remember all of it. I don't remember being necessarily blown away by it, but what really stood out to you? It's one of the funniest movies that I've seen, like, like uh, satire-wise. In terms of like, like, in terms of like smart humor, I guess, like a lot of the like my favorite line in that movie, like there's two lines that stick out to me in that movie. And it's um, it's where the the guy who's like the Russian ambassador and this like guy who hates commies are like fighting. And the president comes up and he goes, gentlemen, gentlemen, stop fighting. This is the war room. There's no fighting allowed. And which is incredible. <laughs> And then the the second thing that's hilarious is that there this guy was arresting this uh this uh guy who worked he was a British SAS officer who worked in the Air Force base and he's like arresting this guy and he says oh I need a quarter to call the president right like he needs he's at a payphone he's like I need a quarter to call the president I don't have enough change can you please just like do it on credit and they're like sorry the president didn't accept and he was just like. Well, he's going to be really mad if he doesn't hear from me. And so the guy who's like escorting him, who like arrested him was like, do you have a quarter? He said, no. Do you think I have a quarter when I go into combat? Like, of course not. Right. I don't have loose change. And so he says, well, there's a Coke machine there. Why don't you try like punching it? And he like punches it and it like doesn't work. He's like, well, shoot it. And he goes, well, all I'm saying, sir, is you better get the president on the line or 
you owe you owe the Coca-Cola Corporation an apology. <laughs> Which is incredible. Like it's such yeah. an incredible it's like uh a lot of satire, like I said, like there's a part in the movie where uh the soldiers are like American sh- soldiers are shooting at other uh soldiers and there's a, a thing on the base and it says uh we're the ministry of peace. Like Yeah I just this- like that's a, such an incredible movie. Yeah. And, um, uh, oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. And uh, like Dr. Strangelove himself is a former Nazi scientist. And you don't think he's a Nazi, but he has like this German accent. Yeah. And his arm, his arm keeps going up to Nazi salute and he has to put it, put it down. And he calls the president of mine Fjorda and stuff. And it's like incredible. Well, that's directly like attacking the fact that we did exactly that. We brought Nazi scientists over. Oh, yeah. Operation Paperclip. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it was a it was a very interesting film and and Paths of Glory too like that's a that's a Kirk Douglas you know film that that's under you know it's like an hour and twenty minutes and that's a, that's about World War One that's an incredible movie like I dang off to watch that dude it's so good like yeah it's really it's a really good movie it's like uh, uh it, it really like kind of comments on like the I don't know, it comments on like the the horrors and the beauty of like humanity in such a way that like the ending like really got to me. You know, yeah. it was like a it's a rare, rare occasion. And I mean like Spartacus, which was interesting, um when now, I watched Spartacus. Is, the, is this the movie where they're like, I'm Spartacus? No, I'm yeah. Spartacus. Yeah, it's Kubrick I've seen that director. clip, but I haven't actually seen the entire movie. Yeah, um, that's a really good movie. It's like three hour, three hours and twelve minutes long, and Damn. it doesn't feel like it at all. Yeah, same I love thing with that Bar- when movies are long as shit and then they don't feel like it. Same thing with Barry Lyndon, dude. Barry Lyndon was like three hours and twenty minutes long, and that was another movie that was like, you watch it. It's such a weird thing too, because like, the worst things that I can say about Kubrick movies is that like Clockwork Orange. The Shining, I, I did, I, I, and I said this, I did like The Shining better the second time uh, that I saw it, you know, recently. Um, but The Shining, Clockwork Orange, and uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, like his most popular movies, I feel really have like nothing to say about people. So like the biggest problem is like 2001, I kind of agree with Pauline Kale in this. Like I, I really found it fa- a fascinating, like visually stunning film. But 2001 is isn't about like anybody. It's kind of about like this transcendent, like consciousness is as alien, like is kind of like the theme of 2001. But I really like Kubrick's movies that are about people, I think, that have ideas behind them. But they're also about people because like Clockwork Orange is about like beauty and violence and the relationship between it. And 2001, or, uh, uh, sorry, The Shining, in my opinion, is about, and, you know, there's a bunch of different interpretations, but I think The the Shining is actually about masculine violence and how it's, like, cyclical um, in terms of, like, it's never changing. It's, you know, I mean, obviously, like, the famous shot at the end of The Shining is, you know, Jack Torrance being in the picture, and they're like, you've always been the caretaker. And it's just like that violent male, drunk, alcoholic behavior, I think, is kind of like the the theme of it. And I actually enjoyed that a lot. But I think the, the movie, the movie's about people, which is, you know, Spartacus, Paths of Glory, Barry Lyndon are all about like 
particular people instead of like these gigantic sweeping themes. And even like Dr. Strange love, which is about like this about the, it's a satire about America's position after world war two is still, you know, about people ultimately. And, and so the films that I really relate to with Kubrick the most are the ones where he just focuses on like his care, like his characters are more fleshed out. I think your point about movies being about people and like people's experiences um, is another reason why a movie like I'm thinking of anything's and his other films, mm-hmm. um, not Kubrick. I'm blanking on the director's name. Uh, oh yeah. Well, um, the director, he's like a writer. He wrote being John Malkovich. Yeah. And- he's, he's written and directed a lot of good films, but his films are also um, they're, they're weird. They're kooky. Like they involve different elements of Charlie art. Kaufman. Yeah. Charlie Kaufman's films. But at the end of the day, it's always about a person. Um, it's always about a particular individual and their experience in life. And I think that's, that's how you can get away with like not just being weird for weird sake, not just showing things on screen for the sake of showing them. Like there's always a direct purpose and it's not some, like overarching value it's someone's direct experience like you know and i'm thinking of anything's it's jake like his entire it's the entire movie is jake everything you're seeing on the screen is a form of him just mm-hmm. in another object or another like way and i think in that's fancy, yeah. i think that's why you can because you ask yourself when you're watching movies like that like why did i like it like mm-hmm. i know it was good I can appreciate a good film, but why did I like it? And so I think that's really a great way to put it, Matt, is that it boils down to this was about a person. This was about some experience. And you can relate to that on some level where it is a lot harder to relate to like 2001 being this grandiose explanation of like the universe or the way things are. It's it's a lot. It's a lot harder to connect to that on on like a deep level. Yeah, and I think like a lot of it has to do with as well the fact that, and I think Pauline Kale brings this up in her her uh, review of two thousand one, and I think I agree with her on this point. Like, I'm I'm not I don't know much of her reviews, you know, but um, but she said, and I read her review after I watched it. Um, she said that what she felt was that the biggest message of two thousand one was that an alien consciousness which I understood what he was going for. But I, again, like I kind of don't think it like has to do with, you know, it's kind of hard to relate to, but an alien consciousness came down and, and, you know, artificially like evolved humans to the point where we like, we're modern day humans. And then like this obelisk, this alien obelisk as well, kind of comes in and, and evolves humans to, to become a space God. Right. And I think that like the point that she was making was that like, okay, then what's the, what's the point if there's no, if there's no point, like if, if something comes out of nothing, it comes out of an alien, something, then like, you know, it's not really like, what's the point? What am I watching here? It's just like, yeah, cool. Like there's drug trips and stuff in the movie and the visuals are great, but like, is it more than that? Right. Which I I can, again, I can see where he's coming, where he goes with it and he's where he's coming from. I think that movie is about how consciousness is like this almost divine miracle, you know, that kind of happens that that has to be alien, like consciousness is alien to us. And the fact that like 
we can, if we transcend consciousness, it's like we become these godlike beings. You know, I, I can kind of see where he's going with it. But at the same time, like, I mean, they don't, like, and Pauline Kale references this, they don't reference, like, the astronauts who are killed or, like, any of that, you know, in the movie. And so his 2001 may be his most, like, visually striking movie. And, like, it could be conceived of as a work of, like, moving art, essentially, because there's a lot of, like, drug trippiness and, and stuff in the movie. But when you watch it, you just go, okay, but why do I care about, you know, you don't, and again, you don't have to care. Um, but like, why am I watching this alien consciousness influencing us? You know, there's no like great message. Uh, you know, there's no like super deep, great message in that. It's kind of like run of the mill. And then also, I don't care about Dave. I don't care about Hal. I don't care about any of the astronauts who died. Like, it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a journey that you go on. And and again, you don't have to like necessarily be invested in a movie to love it. Right. Like movies are art. So you can kind of like, you know, you can enjoy the, the ride or you can enjoy the visuals, you know, as much as you want. But at the same time, like I find that I relate to Kubrick's movies the most when they're about people instead of like big sweeping ideals. Well said, man. I, I agree. I haven't I haven't seen 2001 since I was like really young and obviously my feeble mind couldn't comprehend it at that point yeah. um, or what I was watching. I didn't care at all because I was like eight or nine or whatever. So it didn't matter because mm-hmm. I honestly I don't I don't know if you've do you remember movies you watched when you were younger, like their plots yeah. and everything? I can't mm-hmm. I can't remember past a certain before a certain age and like before you- a certain time. I can't remember shit. If you showed me Small Soldiers today, I could tell you like everything that happens Dude, in that movie. Dude, I okay, I I I know I watched it. Yeah, but I have no idea anything that happens. Dude, I watched that movie so much, I could tell you like plot by plot the synopsis of that movie. I'm like, trying to think. Besides Star Wars, that was yeah. really Star Wars and Lord of the Rings were the two movie franchises that I watched on repeat growing up. But mm-hmm. aside from that, um. This weird fucking movie that I think I looked up the synopsis again. And it's about like, were you there when I was talking about this movie where there's this like small dwarf? Yeah. Kid. He plays baseball and he Simon. It's called Simon something. And it's like a weird religious movie about Catholicism. And he, yeah. kills, he kills his best friend's mom. Like that was a, such a traumatic movie to watch. As a child. Um, so I remember that like in bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember scenes from it. But I watched a bunch of shit as a kid and I, I just well, can't remember it. I say the biggest thing is like it's I if you were to ask me what movies I watched, right? Like as a whole or, or what books Look I read up. as a whole, I won't be able to tell you. Right. But if you were to tell me like I could tell you my favorites and stuff and things that stick out to me. But if you were to tell me a movie or a book that I've read, I could tell you like if I can if I've read it or watched it, I can tell you like the plot, like at least the very outline of it. I could tell you like beat by beat what happens unless I unless it's that one time when I was super drunk, then I couldn't, you know, I couldn't obviously couldn't tell you the plot. But if I was like sober, which is most of the time when I read stuff or when I watch stuff. I could at least give you the general, the general thing, which I, I, 
which happened like a lot of the movies that I've seen in my life, I've seen multiple times. So that's probably why. But I yeah. think one of the things that annoys me is that like one of the effects of depression on me is that I have very like remembering the past is difficult for me to remember like things vividly because it feels so foggy. It feels like I can't pull out like detail that much detail. It feels like mm-hmm. almost dreamlike in that like I know I did these things, but I can't tell you how that experience was or really how I felt during it. It was just it just to me now seems like a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that was like just because. I was a, like, I was always a stressed out kid. Like I was always super fucking stressed all the time. Yeah. And I mean, I'm stressed as an adult, but in a different way, like it's a lot, it's a lot less. I was more stressed as a child than I am now. Like, I feel like I'm way more chill now. Um, yeah. But I, I just can't remember my past. So for me, like it feels like in a way I kind of just exist in like this bubble of time, which was like, the past couple months and then today you know Mm -hmm. like i feels i feel very displaced and that causes like a weird existential feeling in that like you know you existed before but you can't connect with that person anymore so you feel like an isolated individual in time and it's 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 annoying because i think part of like growing and learning is remembering the past and like it's important to remember what those situations, how they were and how you reacted. And just you learn so much about that. But now I feel like I'm just living on pure instinct because I can't go back to the past and say like, oh, this is how it really went down. This is how I felt. And so I don't know if that's like a, a childhood trauma thing. I don't know if that's a depression thing. I can't put my finger on it, but I think it's a common symptom of depression. I mean, with me, like the way that I remember things, though, is like I can't remember chunks of my life. Yeah. So like middle school is kind of a blur. Mm -hmm. I can kind of remember eighth grade. I can't really remember before that. But like I could tell you, like I said, I could tell you like plots of movies that I saw, you know, and that's the biggest thing. Like for me is like. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything about like my previous birthdays. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't tell you about birthday parties that I've had in the past. Yeah. I, I can tell you about movies that I've seen or books that I've read, but not. Well, it's like also that. like, you know, the, you associate books and movies as being almost more important than those, those birthdays because they've stuck. Obviously they have because they've stuck with you. Um, but it, it yeah. sounds like you get more, enjoyment out of that entertainment and like it brings you i don't know if happiness is the right word but it does bring you like more value than say just certain other things and that seems like why you remember it more yeah i i think i kind of remember i've always and and i felt this way like ever since i was a kid i've always felt like when i walked out of a, i love going to the movie theater which is like unfortunate during Rip. the time yeah. of covid yeah but uh, I remember, uh, you, you know, invest in AMC. AMC. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I remember walking out of movies and I still feel this way, like as an adult, like being pumped, you know, yeah. kind of like having this like almost adrenaline and being like, wow, like I, I want to be like that. I want to live like that. I want to do that. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, or or grappling with feelings of like intense emotion, like if it was a sad movie or, or you know, a, a a movie that like made me laugh or whatever. Like I, I always 
kind of like wrestled with my emotions with movies essentially. So that's how I've always felt. That's how, you know, I've, I've reacted and act, you know, uh, towards them. So I think that those, those moments typically like my past, my life, whatever has been kind of, uh, has been kind of like a, you know, a kind of a, a, a straight line, if you will, of like apathy mm-hmm. of like, even when I was a kid, like I didn't really care that much about like, I, I didn't really care that much. I wasn't really invested in my life that much. Yeah. But like, I was always invested in like films and stuff because when I saw a movie and I enjoyed it, or like I said, I, I gleamed something from it. I was always like, wow, like I could be, you know, Joe Blow on the screen essentially like I could be that guy, you know, and I always thought in those terms. So. It's weird how much we project on the movies and like yeah. we, we do it with other forms of art too. That's like the whole importance of art is putting ourselves into it. Mm-hmm. But mo- something weird about movies is it's power to do that to almost, it seems universal. Mm-hmm. And like, for example, my girlfriend, she does not cry. She's not a crier. But you put on a movie and you can have her bawling like in 30 minutes or less. Because, yeah, it's very cathartic. Because it's like it's e- it's somehow easier to get lost in this fantasy of a movie than it is to like actually be sad about real life, which yeah. I think is OK. I don't think, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that. Right. Um, it's just that power that movies hold over us is is interesting and i'm sure there's articles written about it that i haven't read and people a lot smarter who know like why that is mm-hmm. but um i think that's you know why we tend to remember like really important movie theater experiences and you know like movie theaters just in general like you always have those movies where you say oh man you should have seen it in theaters because if you had saw it in theaters you would have liked it a lot more Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of sucks that we're missing out on that because like yes it's cool we can get it like same day on HBO but we're not in a dark room with massive fucking speakers on a huge screen right really getting like you also movies also and I think this is one of the biggest things like the last thing that I kind of want to talk about on the pod today is that like there was this kind of discourse that I had with uh, like a group chat and I, I actually, you know, I kind of came around and I, I agree with this now. Um, it was like, I think it was Charlotte climber or something, right? Like the, um, I don't know. Fuck her. <laughs> yeah. She was like, okay. She, she became the head of this like Catholic organization for like LGBTQ rights or something. Right. Okay. Which doesn't seem like it gels really well. <laughs> I don't know. Like, well, Catholics, how- Catholics are like notoriously progressive when it comes to those things. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought they were kind of, yeah, they're like, uh, obviously this varies upon like person. I know the, person. I know the Pope was, I know the Pope was controversial because he, he said that gay people could get into heaven. Catholicism is like the one branch of Christianity. That's sort of like, okay. Because most of the people that like, follow it don't actually like follow the bible a lot which is like actually a good thing because they kind of like they the catholic church throughout time has shown an enormous ability to adapt to situations and adapt with culture like how do you think they haven't become irrelevant yet especially in like the days today's age they've adapted time and time again and obviously other religions and other churches have done the same thing but catholicism seems to like 
always find a way to be like trendy and cool Christianity. Like we're the, come over here. We're the cool guys. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting too, because like my, one of the guys in the group chat's actually religious. He's like non-denominational, like one of those kind of like American religious guys. Right. Which is yeah. like, mm-hmm. I, I envy him like for his belief. I wish I could believe, but you know, I can't. as a, as a former believer, I do not I don't <laughs> envy that at all. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, just, get, I think I'm, I get I think why I maybe, you do. I get why I maybe you do, but envy the ignorance, I guess. Like I, I envy ignorant people, I guess. But um, which I'm not saying that he's ignorant. No, you know, no, I could, no, no. I get what I you're could saying. be wrong. I'm saying like I, I envy the the people who have this like I'm gonna believe no matter what. Like fuck you, God exists. You know, I wish I believed in something that much. But yeah, um, so he was talking about how um, he's like, well, fuck off. Like liberalism is is kind of invading the church and, and creating like, you know, the church is like this one last like bastion of like whatever, maybe a golden pass or something that we have, I guess. And which isn't true, you know, it's not true at all. And I kind of yeah. like explained this in the group chat, but um, what I told him, I said, it was kind of interesting that like, yeah, the church is kind of like trying to modernize and say, Hey, you know, like God accepts, gay people or you know accepts whatever and i started listening to this podcast called the perfume nationalist and this perfume and he's he's always like touted as like this right wing guy he's like this gay guy who's like who reviews movies and perfume right which is kind of funny but like yeah i heard about this through like the grapevine i started listening to him and yeah, he he's right wing. He he even says you know like he's openly right wing or whatever. Wait, Matt, but, uh, Matt, you listen to a right winger and you don't instantly shut it off and plug your ears and just bang your head on the table. Yeah, exactly. Like I can listen to Chapo and him at the same time. I have like dialectics, baby. <gasps> but yeah, so this guy like essentially, I think he said it before, but it is. Um, he was talking about how like like neoliberalism has turned things that used to be transgressive into just like the norm. And it's kind of like dissolved this sense of transgression that things need to survive. So for instance, like being like homosexual, whatever was, uh, you know, is like now kind of a, I don't want to say the default, but is a thing that like a lot of people have like openly, you know, it's kind of like, have openly like said, you know, but this guy, the perfect nationalist, and I don't agree with this part, but the perfect nationalist was like, well, what it sucks because like those things used to be transgressive and being transgressive means like you're like, it it kind of like is interesting and it kind of creates this counterculture that naturally springs up from these things. And so what I said was that like, I kind of synthesized the points. I said, well, it's kind of weird because like the church like as an institution itself was the one place where you couldn't really be transgressive. And so what I said to this guy who in my group chat, who's religious is that I kind of agree with them insofar as the liberalism is infiltrating the church in that you can't even be transgressive against the church anymore, which kind of sucks because like, I think that too much freedom in terms of, you know, laissez-faire do whatever you want is actually a bad thing like liberalism kind of like promises this this fake individual freedom right where you're kind of like a free individual subject that can act by themselves but like 
with no safety net, with no like instructions, you know, so you're kind of like on your own to figure it out. Whereas like, if like, if you can't, you know, have a full material communism or socialism or whatever, if the state can't provide you with that um, safety net, then like the church is kind of like, and I'm not saying the church is a good thing, obviously as like an atheist, I don't really, you know, agree with the church. Yeah. Like the persecution of, of homosexuals and other is, minorities is was fucking awful for you centuries. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I will fully admit to that and like full disclaimer, I'm what I'm fixing to say may sound completely stupid as people, but like the church was kind of like this last bastion of, of like order that wasn't, you know, like fully liberalized and it has become liberalized. And the fact that like most people who go to church, I don't think really believe. And then also like, they don't believe in God or anything, but then also like, they're not, they're not willing to like give themselves up to a higher power, which I think is like the appeal of church. So like the higher power is like this, you know, this, this father figure essentially who can kind of tell you like, what to do and how to act and like you can't do this and you can't do that which is like a good thing in certain regards like you you shouldn't have like complete unfettered freedom to do whatever but at the same time like i was telling him i said well the church is like you know has been awful forever and i'm not pretending that's not but and like obviously like the way they treat individuals like you were saying like gay people or whatever is awful but um, liberalism as like permitting everything to exist and everything to be fine. And like, you know, kind of like there's no transgressive elements anymore. It's kind of detrimental to society. I think as like a whole, because I think you need little pockets of transgression to kind of survive. Like we don't have, we have like, it's like that same like gray shitty, like architecture everywhere it's kind of like a mcdonald's on every corner you know like liberalism is the great equalizer in the terms of like making everything equally shitty but it's not the great equalizer in things that matter which is like economics healthcare, other things like that yeah and not to go on like the whole anti-woke train or whatever but i i get what you're saying because it's like liberalism it promises like you said freedom but mm-hmm. in reality it's almost like you know um, and you can t- correct me if this is the wrong analogy, but like, you know, Plato's cave theory where it liberalism teaches us that being in the cave chained to the wall, seeing the shadows is actually like good for us. And that, mm-hmm. um, any act which is exploring outside the cave is wrong and it disrupts the harmony of things. And that, um, you know, true freedom, which comes from like security, and especially material security, um, they'll never submit to that because it will rock the boat. The way of doing things will be unbalanced. And someone, aka, you know, the bourgeoisie has to be the transgressor and is the actual transgressor. But as long as liberalism has its way, that can't be possible. Um yeah, the, I see. I have a, a little different perspective on the church because of being a former believer, and I don't think that Christians are evil. I don't think the church is inherently 
evil. I don't think like there's a con job that's going on. There's like some mastermind pulling the strings trying to dupe everybody. I think, I think, um, you know, people believe for a lot of different reasons, but at the end of the day, like, can you fault people for just wanting to believe and wanting to believe so badly that it becomes a reality to them? I don't think you can like, because, um, you know, obviously like atheism doesn't mean you have no hope in your life and you have like, that's a lie that Christians tell themselves to like feel better. And I think, I think Matt, if you had been in the church, you would have a totally almost flipped perspective of it. And that Mm -hmm. like, for you, you kind of envy that bliss and ignorance, but mm. as someone who was ignorant for a time, uh, I don't envy it all because I felt like I was living a lie without, and like, I feel like I had been unintentionally lied to by a lot of people because now I'm like, why, why do the people around me like, like my sect of Christianity was very much like literalist Bible. And that's why I kind of can respect uh, sects of religions that get away from the text and kind of just go with culture and go with their own flow because they yeah. still do have that like belief in a higher power, whatever that is. And as a Christian, I used to despise that. I used to say like that's you know basically blasphemy and how the how could you ever do that? But mm-hmm. now I see kind of like the appeal in it is that um, like you can be happy believing in God without feeling guilty for like hating homosexuals and hating like, and like supporting toxic masculinity and, and and hating feminism and all these like terrible things that comes with the Bible, especially. And Mm -hmm. I I feel lied to in a way because it's like, Oh, like you guys couldn't, especially like my parents, you guys couldn't ask these questions I'm asking myself. Because once you start asking these certain questions, you, you reach a point where you either continue to lie or you like you face reality. And that's yeah. kind of what happened for me. So I, I again, to reiterate, I get why you feel that way about religion, but uh, it's it's way different having been inside it and then coming yeah. out the other side. I wasn't like the crazy thing is, though, like I grew up Baptist and I like I went to vacation Bible school and I would like go to church every once in a while. But like. My mom and dad weren't like super devout, like devout. My dad wasn't devout at all. Like he just kind of had a general, like I believe in God type thing. Yeah. Going a lot on. Of people, a lot of people are like that. And then my mom's same kind of thing. She just didn't like, she didn't like church. She liked God, but she didn't like church. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we never really read the Bible that much or did anything like that, you know? So that, that I think that's what I'm trying to say is like, I, even though like I, I was technically like in the church system because I like went to Bible school for like you also grew God. up in the South and that's just like normal. Yeah, I went to Bible school for like most of my life. Like we kind of stopped going when I was in like middle school or so probably. So like when I was like se- in seventh grade, we just stopped going to church and like no more Bible school and stuff, which makes, you know, it makes sense because my mom, like I said, my mom didn't like the church. So I kind of have this like insider outsider perspective mm-hmm. of the church as a whole. But yeah, I think what I like long story long to kind of like loop this back into everything that I was saying is that like this belief in this, um, you know, this, this like this thing that you can transgress against essentially is like, uh, is an important like 
I don't know. It's an important feeling that's kind of like loot, like going away. Like there is no more thing to transgress against. Like you have to kind of like accept all of neoliberalism, which is why I think there's a lot of people who are like, even though we're like an atheist society, we're kind of like going trad and like becoming Catholic and stuff. Like a <laughs> yeah. lot of people are becoming Catholic. Like, and I, I mean, I went to a couple of masses to, to check it out. And like I said, you know, I was, I was thinking about religious questions and stuff. Cause I was actually questioning my own atheistic belief because yeah. I think there is this, this longing to return to something that before like a time before like neoliberalism, which is, you know, uh, the great, shitty equalizer which is what you see with like these stocks right that, that yeah. like to tie that back into what we were talking about earlier and this is the last thing i'll say on, on the pod i guess but like the neoliberalism is the great equalizer in the fact that like there are people who have the power and there are people who don't and you are equal to the people who don't if you don't have power and you're equal to the people that do if you do so yeah, it's this arbitrary cutoff on like human value and human priorities. Like the priorities of of the the people and the in crowd are always going to take place uh, over everybody else. And uh, hopefully, you know, I I think the wrong take to look at the whole Wall Street thing is like, could this lead to like a proletariat uprising? And like, could the people really take on Wall Street? And I, no, like this, I don't think this is like. One Occupy Wall Street when it happened was like kind of an epic failure, but <laughs> but like I don't think there should be any delusional like any delusions about like this is just people on the internet hopping on a trend because it's cool and mm-hmm. it's actually like something that's positive and good, but mm-hmm. um it's not like it's not a leftist thing and so like I think that's that would be the wrong take because I have seen a couple things like that on Twitter, um saying like oh this is leftist and in reality it's just people like so it's funny and this will be the last thing i say is so many people will agree with leftist ideas or leftist things without actually considering themselves leftists or actually believing it mm-hmm. um, and, and you've encountered this i know personally matt because you shared the story about like especially right wingers mm-hmm. have this they have this idea that something's wrong but their solution for it is the complete opposite of what you should be doing. Um, right. And you see this time and time again. It's like you get there's a problem. You hate corrupt government, but you hate corrupt government because like the Jews are running it. Like, you know, yeah. it's not like the good, the good kind. So well, um, that's what I was saying about like, you know, that's what I, you know, my big incel rant, you know, that's kind of similar to that too. So. Yeah. Well, hey, man, uh, good stuff. Uh, sucks Cole couldn't be here. Maybe maybe we'll get him on the next one. Yeah. But anyway, guys, we will, uh, I guess we'll talk to you later. Yeah, talk to you later.